This is a shock podcast. Perez, guys, come on. What on earth? I mean, not just from a driver's perspective, from a manager's perspective, from a PR perspective, from a team boss perspective. From his father's perspective. From a father, from the Ministry of Defense's perspective. I mean, I am, I'm not happy. I mean, we're all Checo fans, but I think the Ministry of Defense has got to go. <laughs> Who's he? He's still, man, he's defending against P10. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of Suited and Booted, the Formula One podcast in the studio. We've got us three racing drivers at your service for today to talk about Silverstone. My name is Daniel Woodruff and with me in the studio we have... Jasmine Jafar. And... We're on time. Hello, gentlemen. We have just wrapped up the Silverstone British Grand Prix. Honestly, I had a good time. I was... I think this is one of my more... Oh, I was going to say most favorite. I haven't thought about it that much. One of my favorite races of the season so far. Yeah. One, one of the most exciting for sure. Sure. Yeah. I was in um, the group chat with my family and everyone was tuned in, full of celebrities, full of hype, good weather. Your group chat or the actual race? No, the actual <laughs> family group chat. But yeah, good weather, I think for, for British Grand Prix, full of celebrities, full of buzz, you know, mm. it, it brings it brings a good positive energy to the race. But it wasn't all good weather. I mean, it was, it was raining again. Like we said, I mean, it's England, yeah. there's always a chance of rain. And it did. You know, qualifying was so interesting, I think, because it was going from wet to dry. Mm -hmm. It just made the whole thing super exciting, right? Top five, we've got Verstappen. Two of the McLarens in P2 and P3. I mean, come on. This is something we all wanted. I think it's good for the sport, good for the fans. People want to see that. And then obviously, you know, Ferrari trailed behind with fourth and fifth, Leclerc and Sainz. But let's talk a bit more about McLaren. I mean, from qualifying until the race, big upgrades to the car. Jazz, maybe you want to share some insight on what kind of upgrades these guys have got, you know, in introduced in Silverstone? Yeah, I think um, McLaren's done a very good job in deploying the upgrade. They're, they're yet to arrive mid-season, but Rob Marshall is the guy in charge of the technical side of McLaren, uh, who's newly appointed since January. He's been in Red Bull since its early days in 2004, and uh, Rob has put on uh, a good program to deploy these upgrades, which has a new floor, a new side pod, mm -hmm. um, that even brought better cooling and good straight line speed. So I think Silverstone was the right package for him to take out and show his cards on the table. Do we think this upgrade is sustainable though? Or do we think it's something that's better suited for Silverstone, maybe not for Hungary? I think the, the, the last few races, the common problem is getting the tyres up to temperature. It's not easy, obviously with this new 18-wheel size tyres and it's so wide and big and trying trying to get into that window, especially in the temperatures like Silverstone, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's windy and gusty and all that kind of stuff. McLaren nailed it. You know, they, they showed in FP1, they were 7th, 8th, and then they creeped up to 4th and 6th and really showed their true pace when, when everything started working together. So mm -hmm. I think it'll be sustainable then. It's going to be uh, Hungary next, I believe, which is another high downforce circuit. You mm -hmm. need the tyres. They're working from lap 1. And uh, I mean, they ran on hard compounds during the last 10 and That's still true. pull the gap 
from yeah. Mercedes. Yeah, exactly. And this is actually something I wanted to ask you, Ron. I mean, you've you've driven cars with different tire compounds, and a lot. I think a lot of the, the average Formula One fan knows at a basic level what the difference between soft, medium, and hard tires are. But on the topic of the McLaren being able to actually get the hard tires working when everybody was on softs, you know, what's it actually like driving a harder compound, switching from the soft tire to the hard tire? I mean, you know, in general, between soft, mediums, and hards. The soft is always something uh, drivers love because you know it's the best performing tire. You can extract everything out of it. The only downfall is you don't get the lifespan of those tires. So what every team wants to try and achieve is to make the hard tires work. If they can get the hard tires working as closely as they can to the soft compounds, you know you've got a good car for that weekend um, because your tires are going to last. Your lap times are not far off the soft compounds, and that's ultimately I think a lot of teams want to try and achieve over the course of a weekend. So you know it's it's something that McLaren did extremely well. Uh, Red Bull surprisingly didn't use the hard compounds this time, but I also think they don't need to. They really have a choice of whatever tires they want to put on. I mean they can put the wets on, and I think they'll still be leading the race. You know. Um, <laughs> But yeah, McLaren just extremely impressive. Going back to, to what you mentioned before, they've got a good car now with a big upgrade. The guy from Red Bull who, you know, introduced this upgrade package. The question I have is, it's good now, but it's mid-season. Are they half, you know, let's say like, you know, moving towards next year in terms of development? Will they be, let's say, half a season behind, do you think? Well... I think uh, they're going to fight and pull away as much as they can at this juncture. But never to forget, guys, I think we had this conversation on how long the season is, right? Mm-hmm. Mm. And, um, you know, for example, you know, looking some teams that, that deploy their upgrades in Barcelona, right, after Monaco, and some bringing it in Canada, some bringing it in British Grand Prix. But um, there's even talks that Mercedes wants to shut their development and, and focus on next year because they, they're calling their car a Diva 2.0 which they can never <laughs> get things right in the window. So I think to answer you, Ron, they're going to fight to the very end. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I thought Diva 2.0 was in reference to Hamilton <laughs> when I saw the Instagram posts. Um, I, think, I think beyond just talking about where they're focusing on between this year and next year, I think the, the biggest thing was we, we, we always see the incremental upgrades that people do. It, it helps get a couple of tents. It helps you know move them along the kind of mid-pack. But this was beyond incremental. This was a massive change. So if they're able to do it, this far into the season imagine what they're going to be able to achieve next year true yeah, even better, right? Yeah, because right. usually it's the other way around, right? Yeah, correct. You don't, you don't see these impacts until the following season, but if they're already doing it now, does that mean they have a front-running front car next year? That's a very good point. Very yeah. good point. I think, I think it's right when we chatted about the regulations, right? That's where Mercedes and Toto is trying to slow them down because they know that they're going to have something even better and for as long as Adrian Newey lives, mm-hmm. he's going to pull that gap, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's more races next year. They've announced the 24 uh Grand Prix for next year so China's back China's back yep. China's back and um, you know if you start off in that first pre-season testing on a high you're, you're going to pull away in the season there's a lot to unpack here with McLaren obviously we've spoken about the upgrades let's talk about that start I mean it wasn't just Norris with a fantastic lightning start it was also Piastri before we get into that again the advantage of this podcast is we have racing drivers that have actually driven single seaters how do you get a start that fast how do you warm up your tires what what is your start procedure to actually get it done? Because Norris was starting on the inside line, the dirty side of the track. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw his reaction time, like 0.2 or something. Mm. No, it is, I mean, that's faster than blinking an eye, right? I think he was prepared for it. Looking at his warm-ups and, and you know... So there must be so, so much adrenaline. There's so much adrenaline right. and, and Norris playing a lot of e 
sports and getting used to clutch maps and yeah. getting mm. a good race start procedure I think he just nailed it um, there were hopes of him pulling a gap from Max and uh, he did yep. he did he did yep. but I think until the, the Max pulled back into a DRS zone mm. In Silverstone is very difficult, guys. Do, do you uh, think he played it too safe? Do you think he could have been a bit more defensive? You know, knowing that he was leading, mm. he could. I mean, he didn't try to to defend. He knew that Max was going to sail past, but he could at least just put on a show or at least try and defend his so, position. Th- this this is actually a discussion I do have all the time, right? And it takes me back to my my single seater days. I was racing with Martin Rump. He was right behind me. All right, and he passed me. Right, I was like P three or something, and I just didn't defend. I knew how quick he was, and in my head, it's like if I fight him, I'm. Gonna be fighting for p6 in, in no time right yeah. so i was like just pass me and then i can stay in my gap mm-hmm. right but i remember coming in and my engineer walloped me my team principal walloped me it's like why didn't you defend you know yeah. why didn't you like go in for your like try and make it harder so that your teammate can run up up front i'm like bro i don't care about my yeah. teammate right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm a struggling racing driver here right yeah. so in norris's mind he's probably just trying to make it as painless as possible so that he has as much of a gap yeah. up on the yeah. podium as possible that's true yeah i think you're right because i've been trying to let's say like put different scenarios in my head trying to think like why didn't norris at least try and defend it could be as you said you know if you start defending with p1 you know p3 is going to catch up you never know what's going to happen and you put yourself in a worse spot you know you're going to be happy with p2 for that weekend best result mm-hmm. so far in the season or do you risk it by going toe-to-toe with the guy who's leading the championship it seems like maybe things were a bit overwhelming it's been a while that the mclaren starts in the front row and leading the race you know it's having the chrome livery back and you know i i, I saw one of the interviews that even the fact that they qualified in the front row, the shareholders of McLaren flew in from Bahrain Sunday morning just wow. to catch the race, you wow. know. So I think it's pretty much super overwhelming for mm-hmm. them, and I think they did a good, a good job, guys. You know, yeah. considering they're fighting with the big boys, they're fighting with Red Bull. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you could see how happy Zach Brown was. I mean, that guy was breaking the forearms of everybody in the team with how hard his handshakes were. <laughs> then you've got Lando Norris on the radio going, "Yeah, yeah." <laughs> his voice was breaking more than usual. <laughs> yeah, so they, they were no doubt happy. Who was also happy in McLaren? Piastri. Now, we've brought him up in, in previous episodes, and we've spoken about how maybe he hasn't been performing as well as he should have. But come on, guys, P3, he, he could have actually done better. He he proved us wrong. I'd say yeah. he proved, I mean, he stepped up his game. He did very well. For that weekend, even though he wasn't on the podium at the end, a P4 is still really strong finishing position and he deserves all of it 100% I think we can all come together in unison and say we were wrong <laughs> no that's you Dan <laughs> I, was, I was the only one that said it <laughs> you said PS3 who <laughs> but yeah 100% I mean I, there was an opportunity where he could have actually gotten Norris at one point in the race as well but the team radioed him and, and said maintain position he followed that I think he knew that he was fighting for the bigger picture McLaren on the hearts, we've spoken about that. Interesting strategy. Did you guys believe that that was going to work? Wow. Um, uh, the scenarios were pretty tricky, really, Dan. I think, uh, judging from from how long the Foucault Yellows and the, and the virtual safety cars and the actual safety car being on track, and because track being a bit long, even the pit lane entry is also quite long. So I think per pit stop, you lose about 24 seconds or something like that. But in hindsight, I think they uh, were on the safe side. Um, they got the strategy right and they were on point to not lose positions compared to the others. And the gap to the leaders were also, they were on the same line and, and intact, basically. Um, but it's just that they missed out a little bit just towards the end, yeah. 
So let's talk about why there was a safety car in the first place that caused everyone to pit. So first of all, there was a virtual safety car, and then we got to an, uh, an actual safety car. And it's all boiling down to Haas's reliability issues this weekend, specifically for KMAG. Affecting him both in quality and the race. I'm personally looking forward to the next season of Drive to Survive because I think there's, there's going to be a whole oh, new yeah. vocabulary of swearing <laughs> coming from good old Steiner's mouth. What's, what's going on with them? I mean, can they catch a break? Is it because they're a low-budget team and they just can't afford reliable bits? What's, what's happening? I don't think Ferrari's got any more engines left. No, jokes aside. Yeah. I, don't, yeah, I, I feel bad for, for the two guys. K-Mag... A lot of problems this season. Hulkenberg, not so much. But yeah, it's, the reliability issue is, is, is a real problem. Do you think that you know, they might... I, I'm not sure what their contract is actually with Ferrari in terms of engine supplier. Do you think that there's a chance that they might make a change if this continues to happen? Because most of it seems like it's, a, it's an engine reliability issue, isn't it? Yeah, um, it seems to be a common trait, right? It mm. has um, happened in Austria, happened here. It might just be a team thing, I think. Now, they should be aware of the problems already coming to mid-season, but it's also seemed to be Ferrari lacking power as well. You know, looking at the top-end speed comparing to McLaren's, for example, what we spoke about earlier, mm-hmm. having superb top-end speed. They, they're behind, so even having Haas, who's not having an A-spec engine, is, is also um, behind, and it makes a big difference, guys. You know, coming to tracks later in the year where there's long straights like Spa and um, Monza and etc., you need that horsepower back. So mm-hmm. reliability and horsepower comes hand in hand. Do you think it's, it's it's mostly engine related in terms of straight line speed or maybe the car is just not, you know, that's true as well. drag efficient? Yeah, that's true as well. It's a mixture of factors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Previously, they had the Lara building their car for them. Yes. Mm. On their base. Now they had Ferrari support. They have the ingredients. They have mm-hmm. the drivers. It's probably internal of the team that is not operating the car to its true potential, I would yeah. say. Yeah. If, if they're not careful, Apex GP will take their place. <laughs> <laughs> Brad Pitt was in the pits. On the topic of Ferrari, um, I have here in my notes, I just kept it very short and sweet. I wrote the words, joke, P9, P10. And I think that says everything. It's... Uh, I mean, they were the first to pit, guys. Nothing wrong with that, I thought. I thought, wow, Ferrari was um, very conservative in this strategy. Like, um, they started on the same set of tyres, pitted early to estimate the fact that there is safety car. 100% every single year in British Grand Prix, there's always a safety car. But the fact that you pitted before lap 20 or whatever it was, mm-hmm. you dropped back P nowhere. Yeah. And the front guys are still pulling away, um, like we mentioned, getting in the right temperature in the window, the tires, pulling the gap and, and taking the advantage of the actual pace as the as the fuel is going down. And when the safety car actually happened, they were caught off guard, right? Like mm-hmm. they were they were they seem a bit lost. And there was a radio communication from the team to Carlos Sainz, even asking him, Carlos, what do you think? Should we pit for a second set of tires? Are you having a laugh? It's it's a it's a joke. I mean, let, let's talk about yeah. how much yeah. support these teams have, right, for the car for one race. I know this is the case for Mercedes, right? They literally satellite broadcast live data from the cars to the UK, where they have a team in the factory staying up, going through heaps and heaps of data, regardless of time zone. You've got the entire crew on track. You've got computers. You've got simulations. You have everything, and you're asking the driver that's literally driving the car to do all of the work. I, that's pretty ridiculous. Yeah, I. I don't know what Ferrari's doing and they have been having all of these strategy errors 
Let's let's you know put it in a nice way for a long time now, and I'm highly convinced that the team principal of Ferrari has got no control over what goes on in terms of whatever happens during a race weekend. I mean, you you talk about Benotto being the the last team principal now, Fred Vasseur. I mean, Fred Vasseur is a fantastic guy. He's groomed so many current Formula One drivers. He has his own racing team. It doesn't seem like something he would do or is capable of doing as a team principal. So I'm sure someone else. And I'm truly convinced someone else is calling the shots. I just don't know who. Well, it also begs the question of how long does a team principal have to be in place to make an effective change, right? I mean, in essence, what you're doing is consulting, right? You can't hire a consultant for any business and then expect a massive turnaround in six months, particularly if you're just one guy. It doesn't It doesn't happen. You look at what Toto Wolf did with Mercedes, right? There was that gestation period of a couple of years mm-hmm. before everything came in like clockwork. But also Ferrari, over the last 10 years, I mean, I feel like they've had the most most changes of team principles, right? It was like almost like every two years at one point. Mm. Yeah. So has that turbulence then caused some sort of independence in all the other job positions? Regardless of who the new team principal is, these guys are just doing their own thing. Either that or Vasseur has enacted changes, but it's just going to take a couple more years. Correct. Um, it's rarely that you see a Formula 1 team operates like a football club. It seems like they've been changing managers or, or coaches uh, every three, four years, which is really not healthy. Mm-hmm. I think their winning streak of having the, the years of Ross Braun and, and, and Jean Todd and, and all those guys. Even Binotto was running the engine department at that time. And yes. They have vast amount of good people. But for the team to mature, it needs the good people to mature the operations of uh, the team. So, I mean, they're going backwards, guys. I think um, it's one of the biggest budget teams on the grid. I, I mean, there is a price cap, a budget cap. But going back to your comments on personnel, Dan, there's more than 700 people running that car. Per car, I mean. And they've got to turn their season around. It's very costly, whatever they're doing. When Leclerc went over to Le Mans and they saw, you know, his car win at the 24 hours of Le Mans, yeah, I'm sure he was thinking, why can't that be us? Yeah. I mean, look, it's, it's one thing making bad decisions, but it, it's, it's an even worse thing to be indecisive and make the, the bad decision, right? I mean, to have your engineer ask the driver or you're about to pass the pit entry and then it's like, pit, 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 stay out, stay out, stay yeah. out. And then it's kind of like, I mean, come on, like mm-hmm. you have to make these lightning quick decisions. Yeah. These are rookie mistakes, Dan. It, it is. I, I, I don't know what's, what, what's going to happen. They just need to get their act together. On the topic of Ferraris, Albon passed the Ferraris. That also just highlights how bad it's going. How good it's going. <laughs> how, yeah, how good it's going. I mean, for, um, for Albon, I just mega. I'm not going to say who my win it or bin it is for today, but you know that Albon's going to yeah. be up there. He's a rock star now, isn't he? Everyone loves him. He's outperforming everyone else in his, you know, his Williams. You, you, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to say this, but you reckon he's going to shove signs off that Ferrari seat and maybe get in there? Yeah, I mean, uh, there's been talks from the Italian media reports saying that um, they've been having a few uh, sit-downs about a conversation of having an option for that seat. There were also media reports that they were asking Red Bull whether they're considering and um, whatever it is, Alex has a contract with Williams till 2025. Mm-hmm. I believe one of the big teams might sign him up and wait till 2025, So, mm-hmm. which is not a bad choice. I think he's matured as a driver. Williams is a very small team comparing to the rest of the grid and um, guys, like I admire seeing him smile and how he presents himself and how confident 
confident he is jumping yep. to that car. Clear cut four tens from his teammate every single session. These these are results in speed that is so real and pure. And and Alex is. I would uh, love to see him on a podium at 100%. least once this year. Hundred mm-hmm. percent. Right. You know, it's not just. Albon that's doing well. Uh, I do want to touch upon Williams and the kind of progress updates they've they've kind of done. And maybe also just explaining to the audience about how difficult it is to be a low-budget team, right? I was watching some interviews over the weekend with James Voles, who uh, used to be the strategy director at Mercedes AMG, and now he's moved over to Williams. And just hearing him talk was a, a really great reminder of what happens when you don't have the budget, you don't have the facilities in comparison to the big boys like Red Bull, Mercedes, Etc. Uh, Etc. Et I mean, he was talking about how they had to make a decision between changing the top of the rear wing versus the bottom of the rear wing, and he's like, "Yeah, well, we're on a budget, so we went with the bottom of the rear wing because it's just easier and cheaper to make, right?" Hmm. So it's not like they don't have the technical expertise. Like you've literally got some of the best engineers on planet Earth in your team. They know what they want to do, but then they literally have to go, "Okay, what's the dollars and cents with that? Where can we compromise?" Right. So when we are looking at the performance of a team, it's it's such a sad reminder. That money, money talks, guys. Yeah, hundred percent. I've worked with James um, during my time at Mercedes, and he was the strategist for a very long time, from BAR to Honda to Braun and Mercedes, which was highly successful. And he got promoted, obviously, to the director, and he was one of the Brackley boys, the original Brackley boys. And when Williams announced that Vals was leading the team as team principal, I thought he was the right person for the job. Why? Because he has been in a midfield team with BAR and Honda he has been in a situation with Braun which has no money mm. and won the championship he's been with Mercedes in the early years of Mercedes Mercedes didn't want to spend that much money compared to the rest and the core Brackley boys had to present to Mercedes on what and where to spend on to build a championship winning car and who to hire mm-hmm. and I remember at the time one of the key elements was he said hire Aldo Costa who's an experienced Ferrari engineer during Michael Schumacher's era. Now Val's leading the charge. He knows how to play that game of chess. And now you see him seven months into the job, the results are coming to fruition. So imagine if he had two experienced drivers in the job, mm-hmm. he will fly, you know. And now that money is obviously part of managing the issue. And after he gets their prize money at the end of the year, it would just blossom to get even better. So it's a good thing that Alex is staying on. Um, and it's even better that Vals is leading the charge. This is what I love about the sport, right? I, I think it, it really takes an F1 fan to go beyond the kind of live broadcast to actually listen to the interviews on YouTube and, and and listen to things like these podcasts because it just goes to show that there is so much chess that goes on. It's not as good as saying Max is the best driver on planet Earth. Okay, maybe he is. That's a bad example. But, you know, on top of us praising Albon for his driving, there is so much work that goes in the background. I mean, there's like you say, there was 700 people behind one car at Ferrari. There's an almost equal amount of people for all of the teams. So it's a it's a massive team effort. Uh, and it, it's crazy to understand what, what's going on in the background. Now, there was a record for most wins in a row, which was held by the McLaren team uh, in 1988 with Prost and Senna for 11 wins in a row. Now, Max has been the first to do it since then. That's almost 40 years, roughly. I don't know. My math isn't very good. Two other teams have come close. Ferrari in 2002. Uh, Mercedes have come close in many other occasions uh, with 10 race wins in a row. Uh, So congrats to him. I don't think we need to spend any more time on this podcast talking about (laughs) how amazing or dominant Verstappen is. All your listeners know how strong he is. But I will complain about the same person again. Perez guys come on what on earth I mean 
there was that stat that said if Verstappen was a team on his own, he'd still be winning the Constructors' Championship by 50 points. But if Perez was his own team, not quite. I mean, we're all Checo fans. You know, I, I think I can speak on behalf of all the audience. We're all Checo fans. We love him. But I think the Ministry of Defense has got to go. <laughs> Matt, he's defending against P10. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, it, it's a waste of potential points for the team. I'd like to think I'm a fairly lenient and nice guy, but it's already annoying me. And if you're someone with a short fuse, like Helmut Marco or Christian Horner, cannot even begin to imagine how annoyed they are. Annoyed I'm, being an understatement. I, I mean, just put yourself in like Helmut Marko's shoe. Anyone in a Red Bull will be able to make Q3 with their eyes closed. And how frustrated he must be. Four times in a row, he didn't make Q3. That's, I mean, guys, there's a photo of um, Sergio and um, Helmut Marko's, a long shot. The expression of their faces, both of their faces, after qualifying, describes a thousand words. Sergio was lost for words. And it looked like Helmut, you know, like a school teacher who just told you off, right? Yeah. And uh, that's, that's a situation you don't want to be in. You, you know that, you know, another time this happens, you know you're going to get the boot. I, I don't think there's any more times. I mean, look, all Formula One drivers are delusionally confident. They're, they're the equivalent of a guy on Tinder that thinks he's going to get like a 100% match rate. But even the most delusional human being is going to know that I think he's, he knows he's going to get the boot. That pressure is clearly mounting on him psychologically. I mean, guys, these people are human, right? So it's going to have an impact on their driving capabilities. I think our kind of assumptions are pretty much solidified now. It's just a case of who. We've got silly season coming up, so we'll wait and see. Talking about Red Bull and the psychology of drivers, let's talk about De Vries. I know we've not said very nice things about him in the last few episodes, but once again, I mean, just clumsy performance. He had that unnecessary contact with his front wing uh, against Hulkenberg as well. Just continuing his messy streak. Yeah, I think we just got to talk about De Vries because our producer met him during the Singapore Grand Prix but um, <laughs> she, she says hi DeVries yeah. she's, a, she's a big big fan at the Singapore Grand Prix correct, uh, correct. after the Williams debut but yeah. in hindsight anyway speaking of a not so good package in terms of results another disappointing performance Alpine yeah <sighs> they tough luck uh, lost huh speaking about Ferrari making errors but Alpine they qualified alright I thought but after that issue that they had to I think Ocon had to retire and then Gasly had the battle with Lance Stroll I believe Lance overtook outside of the track limits jumped back in started wheel banging each other and broke his, his suspension or mm-hmm. his push rods which mm-hmm. ended his race but zero points which is yeah not great for a home, very a home race poor, yeah. Yeah, yeah not at all yeah now one driver I'm just going to bring up because our producer has rightly mentioned that we haven't mentioned them at all I think in this season on the podcast Joe Guan Yu have we got anything to say about him? <laughs> well he's, he's got Chinese. a home race next year yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. to that's maybe why we haven't spoken about him <laughs> yeah. the Chinese GP was cancelled yes uh, but P15 in the race and it, should we just end it there? Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well I mean Alfa Romeo has been doing alright not great not terrible but Joe has been outperforming Bottas so I think a little bit of credit has to go to him, you know, even though it's sort of like in the shadows, there's not much spotlight on the team itself, but he has been doing well for his, what, second year in Formula 1 now? I think I think pretty impressive. It looks as though Alfa Romeo kind of lost the motivation to spend more money. Mm-hmm. Uh, they know they're leaving already. They've had a good run. They've got their exposure in the bag. The brand is out there. And perhaps they're 
veering their interests when Audi comes. Mm. Mm. So there's a few management shakeups. Vasor, Vasor's gone. Vasor's gone. Alessandro Luni Bravi is the new CEO. They have Mattia Binotto was in the paddock. So mm. apparently Mattia Binotto uh, has been rumored to lead that team. Oh no! Yeah, <laughs> and rumored to lead that team. I don't know how his German is. Yeah. But, um, and they've also have Andrea Seidel that was previously with McLaren, who mm-hmm. was also in that team. So, a couple of good signings, but a long way, yeah. uh, far away to, to get up front. We don't have a lot of teams except for Braun GP that comes in for the first year, starts dominating. They normally take a three, four year buffer before they get everything right, mm-hmm. don't they? Yeah, that's right. And and we're still waiting on seeing which team is going to be given that extra slot, if any, right? I mean, we were saying last episode, there's quite a few people putting a bid in for that extra slot. So uh, that's going to be a very interesting thing to keep an eye on for the remainder of this season. Now, I'm going to talk about one last team before we get to our ever-favorite win-it-or-bin-it segment. Aston Martin. I put here, Stroll Embarrassing. Alonso, not great, but still confident. I mean, uh, they're a bit of a far cry away from where they said they would be, but interesting to see that Alonso's still smiling. Usually he starts kicking off at this point. Maybe they've got an upgrade coming, I think. (laughs) Uh, Quite a shame also, you know, home race. I thought they would have done really well for Silverstone. Um, 110 year anniversary, Mm. is it, for the brand? So maybe that's why he's happy, you know, all the all the stakeholders are happy, they're all there, but they didn't get the results that they wanted. They're still in it, Alonso's still P3 in the championship, uh, a lot to play for. So let's see, halfway through the season. Consistency in the points, guys, I think they've been mega this season mm-hmm. compared to where they were last year. Yeah, for sure. Deployment of upgrade from the Spanish Grand Prix brought an enormous amount of excitement. Maybe overconfidence came in uh, when they arrived in Canada. Uh, it was Lauren, uh, Lance's home race, mm-hmm. and and I think Lawrence put a high hopes for the team. But then the rest creeped up. So I think you're right, Ron. We might be seeing another upgrade, perhaps after the summer break mm-hmm. for for these guys. Maybe it's that, or do you think it's because Alonso still has a healthy P3 in the championship? I mean, let's not forget these embarrassing string of results from Perez has meant that Alonso is genuinely within striking distance of P2 in the championship. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, and it's strange not to see Sergio there, right? But um, man, this Fernando at his age, he's still on fire. Mm-hmm. Every single race, every single session. I mean, Lance, Lance has shown in some promising recovery results. But one race is up front, one race is not. But Fernando, on the other end, every single race. Like, next race, I can tell you, he's going to be in the points, 100%. Mm -hmm. Because the next team up, after him in the points is Red Bull um, but now he, he, has, he has to look behind his mirrors and fight against the McLarens and the guys that are coming up the ranks I mean that's what it takes right for a world champion to have that level of consistency even if you don't have the best package that weekend you can always put it somewhere within the points just swallow that pill and then fight again another day yeah I mean which is how Alonso's won his past world championships right he's never actually really had a crazy dominant car let's say like Red Bull have right now but at the end of the day it's consistency as the saying goes to finish first first you must finish dot 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 in the points so good takeaway from alonso all right now for my favorite segment gents i actually don't know what your answer is this time usually we discuss it pre-show uh win it or bin it let's start with win it ron who is your win it of silverstone i want to give this to piastri yeah why i want to give it to piastri because he really bucked up this time 
um, really put on a show. And yeah, all credits go to him. He, he hasn't been doing all, well all season, but for this round, he really did. You know, P3 in qualifying, P4 in the race. Um, great result for McLaren. And he still has, you know, as a rookie in the championship, yeah, I think he deserves to, to win it this, this round. Okay, fair enough, Jazz. Win it for me is Lando Norris. Okay, okay. People's choice. People's go choice. On. Home race. Uh, good bounce back. Never gave up. And I'm glad the, the, the bounce back result came for him at home. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I think Lando also won driver of the day. Just He's so nice. I saw photos of him staying back till 9pm taking photos with fans. Mm-hmm. You know Hamilton would have gone back home yeah. straight away. I don't know how that feels, but I'm sure Ron knows because he's had his own race before. But, yeah, that's uh, mm, true. But 9pm yeah. with the fans is... Two after fans Grand in the grandstand still, yeah. still over there. Yeah. It's, it's actually Ron's daily life at Evolt Karting. Yeah, it's, uh, definitely. <laughs> feel like a champion every day. <laughs> uh, do you guys want to know my, my, my win it? Or, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's go, Dan. Okay. Fire away. I'm going to say Albon. Wow. I'm still, I'm still on this Albon train. Maybe not so much just from this performance this weekend, but I think it's accumulation of the previous races as well. He is on fire. He really, really is. I mean, to extract that much out of a Williams, I think hats off, man. He's he's on the cards for next year in a better car. 100%. Okay, bin it. Ron, go. Oh, that's a tricky one. A lot of people binned it this weekend. (laughs) (laughs) If I had to pick one, I'm sorry, but I got to go with Checo. Producer's going to cancel me next show. She's, she's just going to remove that from the podcast <laughs> yeah. itself. She's going to be mute. <laughs> yep, Checo binned it for me. Yep, Jazz? Nick DeVries. DeVries. <laughs> okay, why? why? Why not Checo? I think Checo's a good racer and he still bounced back in the points, one way or another. Points matter. Mm-hmm. Instead of a quality result, I know qualifying sometimes can be a bit dramatic when they don't perform, etc., etc., but... At least he delivers when it matters. But Nick, mm-hmm. like it's been almost half of the season and no one's praising him anymore. No one's giving him the confidence he needs. Um, I don't see him as much on the media activities as Yuki. I'm sorry, guys. They don't highlight him in the race anymore. <laughs> That's uh, true. Even, even on the coverage. So yeah. tells yeah, you something, doesn't it? Tells you something. We got yeah. to fizzle him out of this podcast for all the future episodes as well. <laughs> Um, okay, fair enough. I hate to side with the populist answer, but I, I'm going to have to say Checo as well. I mean, wow. not just from a driver's perspective, mm-hmm. from a manager's perspective, from a PR perspective, from a team boss perspective. I mean, no matter what hat I put on. From his father's perspective. From a father, from the Ministry of Defense's <laughs> perspective. I mean, I am, I'm not happy. I, I want to throw some Gunther Steiner words out there. Uh, it's annoying me that much. So I'm, yeah. he needs to get the boot uh, and he gets the title of Binet. So, looking forward, we're going to Hungary, Hungaroring, 21st to the 23rd of July. Another fast circuit. Gents, I've not driven there. Have, have either of you? Yes. Jazz has, I have not. Okay, walk us through the, the track dynamic, Jazz. Very bumpy, very high digression, very physical, and it's going to be very, very hot. It's in the middle of summer in, in Eastern Europe. Very, very beautiful um, location where the track's at only uh, half an hour from the city and uh, overtaking opportunities mainly on the main straight and up to turn two and it's a very high downforce circuit so um, we'll still see the similar train from Silverstone but some years it can rain on race day so mm-hmm. the rain is that what Formula One needs right we're talking about all these regulatory changes 2026 coming up 
But guys, the sprint race in Austria, it just needed a bit of wetness. It was drying on track. We saw qualifying here at Silverstone. Some of the best action we've had on track the entire season is all that F1 needs really just a bit of water on track and a bit of, a bit of drying circuit. I, I'm kind of low-key, high-key, <laughs> hoping that this happens in, in Hungary. I, I love it best when it's a wet, drying track. Or drying, wet track, sorry. A drying, wet track. Yeah, it just makes it so much more interesting, um, so much more exciting for the viewers because you don't know what strategy Ferrari is going to go for, yeah. especially in terms of tyres and you know how the drivers can perform as well during those conditions. Yeah, well, we just know that it's going to be the wrong strategy, guys. Yes. <laughs> um, 100%. I am going to ask one last question to you both. Give me your top three predictions for Hungary, starting with you, Ron, in the hot seat. All right, I'm going to go, let's see, if, if, if Hungary is similar to Silverstone, I think the McLaren's going to be strong as well. Let's go with Verstappen. I'll go Perez. I think he'll bounce back, you know. And then Norris. Okay, Jazz? Funny enough, guys, I had the same line out in my head. Did you? I, said, <laughs> I wanted to say Max, Checo and Norris. <laughs> yes. Okay, let me, let me turn it around a bit. Max, Checo and Piastri on All his right. first podium. I was going to say <laughs> Max... Norris Perez. <laughs> Not bad. <laughs> yeah, my, my Bennett driver of the weekend. I have no faith, guys. Uh, no faith. <laughs> well, everybody, you just have to stay tuned. The next episode of Suited and Booted, the Formula One podcast, will be out on all of your favorite streaming platforms. That includes Shock App, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Please write in on our social media, uh, either for the page or for any of us individually, uh, with any feedback, things that you'd like to hear on the show. Ask us questions. There are no silly questions. I've had a couple of you DMing me giving feedback so thank you so much we'd love to make it a bit more interactive so please ask away i promise jazz myself and Weiron are very very friendly they're all smiling i know you guys can't 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 see it um and on that note thank you so much for listening drive safe thank you very much my name is daniel woodruff i'm jasmine jafar and i'm Weiron tan and that was suited and booted 